Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is uh, Susan Cho. She's a managing partner at Catalyst Ventures. And Catalyst is spelled with a K. So if you're going to go to the website, it's www.catalystwithak.ventures. So Susan, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Yeah, my voice actually is a little off, which uh, for podcasting isn't great, but you'll be you'll be giving all the juicy info, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds husky and nice, so I think it sounds good. Oh, thank you, thank you. So tell me, uh, tell listeners a little bit about yourself, and then about Catalyst Ventures and what you guys do there. Sure, um, we're a early stage AI uh, fund, so we mostly focus on companies that are data driven. And uh, the reason for that is back in 2013, when I first formed a different fund, uh, which was also data-driven, the background of all of these funds is that I've been either operating, investing in, or founding startups or big company groups that are all data-driven technology uh, companies. And for the most part, I think when you leverage or map you know, repetitive activities that human beings do, uh, then via algorithms and AI, you can actually free up a lot of time for creative stuff. And so that's sort of the overarching theme and reason why we focus on AI in early stage, because we can discover and help a lot of talent with capital and other resources that we have. Okay. So uh, when you say early stage AI, uh, how early stage uh, are you going to be the first one that's uh, a funding partner, or do you wait until they've gotten some funding, seed money? I mean, where do you come in at? Yeah, usually they've had a, a bit of a prototype and uh, maybe one or two commercial partners who are actually uh, piloting or testing out the technology is the ideal point. Um, as you know, and probably see a lot of you know, data-driven companies and ultimately for the algorithms to really be able to reflect what they can do, you need some kind of a commercial partner to actually test it out. And since we focus on enterprise SaaS models, that's another reason why we like to see at least one commercial partner who's engaged. You, you, you said that kind of quickly, you focus on what kind of SaaS models? Can you explain a little bit more about that? All right, enterprise SaaS. So software as a service. Okay. So all right. So what's an example of some of the companies that uh, you've either funded or if you can't say, you know, what what's uh, an ideal AI company or venture that you would look at? You know, what would they do, sure. for instance, that you would want to invest in? Yeah, basically, I, I think it's really the access to the relevant data that um, the AI companies can train their algorithm on is why. Uh, I like to see uh, companies that have at least a commercial partner or two. And, um, you know, as you know, I think AI algorithms are much like how we learn as human beings, you know, and for us to learn, we also need data, right? So something as simple as, hey, you know, 
what kind of um, people do we like to work with to even what kind of investment should we do to, hey, you know, uh, what are some of the healthcare type of um, signals that our bodies are giving? So for that point, we invest into financial services technology companies that really focus on streamlining the research process. So using natural language uh, processing of unstructured data, which is all just another way to say you and I or a research analyst may have to read hundreds of articles a day across you know, hundreds of sources, but a natural language processing software can actually go through a lot of that kind of text and visual um, research sources and distill it down into certain signals that a human being can look at. And so a, you know, a financial analyst can now look at the actual distilled info and really think about how they may want to strategize on investment and whatnot and portfolio management in essence. Another way that um, one of our companies does this uh, is uh, Doc Matter, which is a closed community of doctors that are usually world-class leaders of knowledge owners across about now over 400 medical disciplines across 100 countries. And what they're doing is facilitating knowledge sharing, sort of like a virtual college of medicine. And so uh, rather than having a handful of residents be able to uh, learn from world-class leading medical practitioners, uh, this kind of a closed loop community that numbers in, you know, they'll be close to 100,000 by year end or early next year, they are able to uh, not only learn near real time based on real cases of patients on how to use medical devices or pharmaceutical protocols, but also based on AI, the platform is able to um, provide solutions or potential answers and, and experts that you should ping on the network. So that's a knowledge sharing community that also has an enterprise SaaS model where the pharmaceutical companies are currently sponsoring doctors to access this knowledge community. Why would they do that? Because it's a trusted source of a peer-to-peer -peer sharing network about medical devices, pharmaceutical protocols based on actual application, right? And the prior example of a fintech company, they're actually using environmental, social, governmental news as a new source of information to not only give an edge to portfolio managers, but frankly hold S&P 500, Russell 2000, NASDAQ companies accountable uh, because actual portfolio managers' strategy of holding, buying, selling their stock is going to be uh, influenced by these um, research uh, reports or, or signals, as we call them. And why is that? If you think about it, um, Bloomberg Terminal, you know, S&P 500, Fitch, all of these guys have been mining all the known sources of financial signals out there for decades. But this is a new kind of a signal where, you know, environmental news, but let's say just as a faux example, let's say Procter & Gamble might have been. Uh, found to be dumping some kind of chemical somewhere in the 
Minnesota rivers, and nobody else picked it up other than Minnesota Star. Uh, well, a typical equity analyst may not be reading Minnesota Star, but this uh, NLP approach to uh, crawling all kinds of hundreds of thousands of sources of news on a daily basis will pick it up. And not only that, it'll auto categorize whether if this information is important to the underlying equity and pretty soon this, the bonds or the corporate bonds of a PNG and be able to give a signal as to whether the stock traditionally has moved or not on news like this. And so in a recent Harvard study uh, in October, basically confirmed that um, stock managers or rather portfolio managers of huge assets are finding alpha of, you know, somewhere in the range of four to five percent additional to what an MSCI index is currently doing when they use this company True Values data and right. signals, which is huge. Well, if you think this, about um, like, yeah. Yeah, in, in this example, in, in the doctor example, what I see is a couple themes. One is that there's so much information nowadays, it's beyond uh, 10,000 times beyond impossible to process it all for one person. And then also yeah. um, an AI, instead of just only gathering more information, which could make it even more overwhelming, they could also show you trends and possible interpretations and other things in the data that you wouldn't have the time to see or you couldn't see. So they can give you a much uh, a much better look at what's going on in any particular sector. I think that's a very much nicer way to summarize the reasons why we invest in AI. Right back in 2013, it was all about big data. But I come from the old um, Yahoo gang back in 2000, where use you know data for managing, frankly, advertising and keywords. Right, but a lot of that technology has evolved to where people needed help managing big data. So companies like Splunk came about that went in and helped organize uh, corporate data. Uh, where you didn't need to go hire tons of data scientists to do it. You know, people still do hire tons of data scientists, but Splunk was really established to help organize big data. Then after that, in the toward the I think 2015, uh, you people started talking about machine learning, deep learning, natural language processing. Why is that? Well, once you organize the data, it's kind of like, what do we do with it? But ideally, it can predict, right? Give you predictive or prescriptive even uh, recommendations of what to do, especially around things like medical or enterprise operations. And that's where we are now, you know, whether it be robotics manufacturing or digital health, where people are provided HIPAA and all the, you know, regulatory issues are observed. Um, these companies now help to uh, not only pick up potential signs of illnesses, but also help with, you know, facilitating education of doctors as Doc Matter does. And then the lastly would be deep learning, where that that's the part where some people are really cautious about, you know, the robots taking over a lot of our jobs. But we're we're not focused there, <laughs> and I think that's really far away in terms of uh, right. the areas that we're focused on. Right now, we're really focused on 
really impacting society positively by helping human beings process all that information that's out there for healthcare, financial services, and even some parts of enterprise operation so that we can be smarter. Yeah, I would think too that um, I know it costs millions and a lot of effort to get data, you know, for instance, aggregate financial news or medical data, pharmaceutical data, but then we kind of run into the issue of, well, you know, who has access to it? You know, so it's locked up, but it's only used by one company or, uh, you know, a few different people. Well, you know, that's great that they have it, but what about everyone else? And then it can shift the playing field in certain sectors to be, I don't know, unfair or I guess non-competitive for other competitors. So what do you see as the implications of this going forward? What are some of the big issues that everyone's going to struggle with because of the way things are going? No, and I think knowledge traditionally um, is usually difficult to just lock up because either people want to showcase it, use it, or apply it, right? And in the case of data for Doc Matter, although it's a closed community for doctors because of HIPAA-related regulations, um, I think the the doctor network is fairly open. The doctors themselves can invite other doctors, and the invitation acceptance rate is north of 50%. And the usage rate is, you know, within every few days, most of those doctors are logging in. And also the answers that people are getting from this network is, on average, less than 17 hours. And if you think about a doc, typical doctor's schedule, that's pretty often, and, and the answer the Q&A um, average time is pretty quick. So, you know, I think for regulatory reasons, some of this data does need to be behind a uh, closed loop, but it's not like only Johns Hopkins doctors or only UCSF or only, you know, UMass or only U.S.-based doctors can access. This is global, and this is actually currently being used across all the teaching medical universities in the U.S., plus clinics like Mayo Clinic and others, which is why we like it. It is pretty, um, I think, fair playground in the sense of, um, you know, not only the the best university teaching hospitals have access, but frankly, doctors who want to be part of the network who are invited can participate. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, what, what kind of insights are you getting you know, besides what the companies do themselves, besides what the software does itself, you, know, you see the inside and you see not only that, but a lot of pitches. So what's unique yeah. about your perspective? Well, I think, um, you know, I don't know that it's my unique perspective, but I think as investors, we do we do have the privilege of seeing a lot of different models, right? And I think across logistics management, you know, those who have access to a full vertical of how logistics management is uh, managed by AI uh, will get to market and be at a higher quality of performance. And I think that's pretty true across most of the uh, industry segments that's trying to leverage AI. Why? Because AI is ultimately software that has to be applied in real life scenario. And if you have to be dependent on third party partners or whatnot, it just takes longer to implement and test out. 
So one such case among our portfolio company is Zipline that actually does last mile medical delivery. When they were just a concept in 2014, I invested out of my prior fund, Visionaire, and now you know continue to invest and support out of Catalyst Ventures. And because they design and develop the drones, the operating system for operating the drone and the managing platform for managing up to 30 drones eventually, uh, they are able to test and iterate uh, new software as well as hardware changes much quicker than anyone else out there. You know, is that harder than just creating software for one segment of a data-driven company? Sure. It's like having a couple of startups in one. But I think that's also the reason why they've been able to maintain a lead in creating next generation drones every few years while evolving the software for operation and management platform. Sort of like having an air tower with uh, the flight equipment and the planes all being designed and developed out of one shop or one team. Gotcha. Right? Okay. And, and they've been also commercially flying where in the first 16 months, they've saved three, 4,000 lives in Rwanda on an emergency flight basis and have flown 10 or 12,000 commercial flights paid. And they just launched in the U.S. in October this year. So this brings me to, I guess, one, one other point, which is using AI or technology in particular to fund and support you know, globally impacting companies that elevate either last mile medical delivery or doctor knowledge, you know, virtual college of sharing medical knowledge or ESG fintech company that holds accountable portfolio managers and thus the, you know, corporate entities for taking into account more than just financial results uh, can build huge unicorns at the same time, right? And that's one of the underlying thesis that we have uh, with Catalyst Ventures that's a bit different than Visionaire Ventures. And we have companies in our portfolio that are currently executing on that theme. They themselves you know, may not necessarily have that mission in mind, but I think we would like to be able to find, discover, and support companies that are solving problems that really help humanity but at the same time, build unicorn companies. The two don't have to exist in isolated vacuums, right? And I think we've forgotten sometimes that capitalism doesn't have to mean that you have to be, um, you have to just think about the dollars and cents. Greed is maybe good for the 80s theme, but greed for different types of KPIs where you build unicorn companies, and also you build companies that help improve lives can be done. And that's really the passion that we have. Well, how about the founders themselves? What do they tend to think they want when they first come to you? And does that change after you've worked with them for a while? Well, I think we find each other. So for instance, Zipline, it is a mission-driven company. But now they have FedEx, UPS, and others, you know, partnering or or wanting to invest. And um, I think the genesis started with wanting to solve the last mile medical delivery logistics issue 
in emerging markets where mothers and babies were dying from lack of healthy, clean blood and penicillin, right? But that logistics experience uh, also helped become the basis of this potentially global player in, in drone-based logistics. And Doc Matter community, they, they started with both commercial and, I think, elevating world-class doctor knowledge propagation in mind. So the two brothers who started it come from a family that have been on the board of Stanford's fundraising committee for 30 years, and they themselves have been helpful in their family's effort. But the two brothers who come from tech definitely wanted to build a unicorn that can also help propagate doctor knowledge. And the ESG FinTech company, I think um, it was an idea of the CEOs from when he was in B school and he and his wife, who's a CTO, built the company. So I don't think these guys go around saying, we're going to build a socially impacting company. I think they go around thinking, we're going to build a AI-driven company that solves this particular problem that really adds value in society. Or, um, I would guess that a lot of the companies are, I don't know, men are probably more in this space, you know, the coding, computer, AI space. So, you know, as a woman that's uh, uh, essentially a VC in this space, are you alone? Are you unique? Um, are there a lot of women we just don't know about? And, you know, how is your perspective maybe different from uh, the men that are in the space? Well, I, I think um, I've had a lot of male allies, as you would say, but, you know, who enabled me to raise both Visionaire Ventures and Catalyst Fund, right? And ultimately, we need to deliver results, which is returns on investment. So the first fund returned so far from, you know, the companies I've invested. Of the 12 I invested out of Visionaire Fund 1, uh, three have exited positively and two are still uh, probably going to be uh, exiting out near a billion or over multi-billion unicorn levels. And one of them zipline, the others help shift. And there's few others that are already, you know, also in that same uh, line. I think with Catalyst, it's the same. We have, of the seven investors so far, five are in the same high growth mode that I just mentioned, some of which. So ultimately, results matter, male or female. And that's what the fund investors care about. Having said that, I was at a recent all-raise event that um, uh, was in October. And one data really stuck out, which was of the funds with you know more than 25 million assets under management in the US, there's only 179 VCs, general partners who are women. That's about 8% of GPs in the US. I thought, wow. I, I didn't realize that. It's not like I run around thinking about the fact that I'm a female VC, right? Just as much as I never ran around thinking I'm a female you know, founder, CEO of a tech startup. So that does strike me. Um, but I think all we can do is keep our heads down, work with really awesome teams and execute and let the numbers do the talking. As a friend of mine who... who likes to say, he says, let your racket do the talking. He's British, so he likes to do that. But I say, okay, well, 
that's what we're doing, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, we're talking about AI and AI software, but I don't know. Do you do you when you look at AI systems, do you get a sense that um, I don't know? Maybe it's a ridiculous question. <laughs> no, try me. Do you get a me. sense that that you know? I I don't know. It, I I can't think about this because I you know I'm a male. I have uh, my perspective, but do you get a sense that AI systems have a gender or have a personality or operate in such a way that is alien to you, but seemingly less alien to other people, or vice versa? Or it's just software uh, and that's it. Yeah. You know, I think um, algorithms are logical or rather they're logic based. And it's a lot like a statistical model. So, you know, I remember when I took econometrics long time ago, you basically have uh, it, it's really the variables that you think matter to map the activities that are recurring. And how much weight each of those variables you give is what's going to determine whether if it's a good model or not. And essentially, that's what an algorithm for AI is. And so I actually had to be a product manager for my own startup's marketing algorithm that predicted, uh, or rather, it, it was a machine learning model for managing about 256 sources of marketing uh, sources uh, that um, auto-flag performances of certain variables, and based on that, would actually give warning or or move allocate resources to better performing sources among the 256. And that automated the job of several marketers, right? So... I think if your question is, is AI more natural to men? Um, I don't think so. I mean, look at our ESG fintech company. The CTO is a woman, a mother of an 18-month-old. And Flowcast, which was is one of the other invested companies at a visionaire fund too, uh, the CTO, founding CTO is a woman from MIT and JP Morgan. So of the handful of companies I've invested into, you know, CEOs, CTOs tend to be women. And I think uh, it really depends on how you think versus whether if you're male or female. Okay. I didn't think there was a difference, but I just wanted to ask, you know, you never know. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> well, in the, in that vein, you know, this is my favorite question to ask people is, you know, because you know what you know when you're an insider on the AI world, what have you seen that's surprising to you or odd or strange or cool or just different? I think the speed at which the AI application is happening. So, for instance, even in the customer service world, um, you know, you see a lot of companies saying they're AI. What does that mean? So, you know, if you're familiar with customer service, uh, you have software companies like Sugar CRM or whatnot that are largely um, ledgers with VAR, automated responses for, you know, FAQs that have been created, right? But now, because of this unstructured data uh, processing ability, you have, I think, CRMs that are becoming more and more 100% automated. So you no longer need a customer support rep who's sitting there and eyeballing new issues coming in 
and having to hand log those issues and create FAQs manually, all of that can be done now automatically. So the algorithm picks up, ah, this is a new issue. Does this have to do with payment? Tech, you know, tech issue, forgot my you know, password, but a, for a different platform. All of that is being picked up automatically. And you would think, well, wasn't that done before? Actually not. You have a lot of AI automated companies that have 40, 50% of that automation that are human augmented, which is another way to say you have teams in Philippines, India, somewhere, could be in Arkansas, uh, that's actually sitting there and hand or, or manually inputting data. So the speed with which this stuff is being automated is really surprising. And finally, I think um, the humanoids that are actually starting to pop up here and there, that's also surprising because horizontal AI, where you can ask an AI to do or, or query anything, people were saying it's going to take decades more. But it's starting to happen, at least in the news anchor example of someone in, I think it was like Guangzhou or Guangdong in China, uh, where a humanoid uh, is able to actually process info 24-7 so, and actually report on it, right? So this yeah, is all scary. <laughs> That's a scary trend, I think, for those yeah. of us in the info business, which I am too, right? So, anyway, so this, what do you think, you know, over the next five years, and we probably won't go out further than that because it's impossible to say, but I mean, what do you think is realistic? What do you think is still fantasy for a while? You know, what do you think is going to happen with the AI world? Well, you know, if I had the crystal ball to answer all those questions, I think, um, um, you know, I myself probably would be AI'd, meaning they would probably replicate my brain through algorithm. Mm. Um the speed at which AI is being implemented um, is also, you know, there there's some regulatory hurdles, and then there's security issues that are coming up here and there, right, where um, people are hacking into systems for data. And so it really depends on how available the data is and how um, often we can test the implementation. So... Rather than focus on those questions, which are which is a relevant question, I'm thinking about what are the areas of AI application that are going to be most needed. So one area that I really think about is um, the retiring boomers around the world and how to facilitate their retirement both to not only age gracefully uh, in their home if they could, but also the financing of it, right? I read even early this morning on the Wall Street Journal, there used to be 100 insurance companies that offered long-term care. Now there's, I, I think, only 16 that offer those insurances because the actuaries miscalculated how long uh, each uh, claim recipient would live and the number of assisted living facilities that would be available. So now they're having to either cancel long-term care insurances or increase um, the premiums on an annual basis on retirees by 50 to 100%. This is like thousands of dollars more per year, which oh, most people can't afford. So yeah. 
I'm thinking, gosh, what if we were to use that ESG fintech technology and actually augment the actuarial process and create a long-term care insurance schema that takes into account um, the geographic local scenarios, right? Whether it be the weather and the, the average lifespan of people in, you know, not just San Francisco, but, you know, a local community, as well as um, the number of assisted living facilities and the price that they're commanding to the types or, of pharmaceutical um, products. Yeah. You know, or an idea there is, um, you know, I, I don't know much about insurance, but I know that they'll do a physical on you. And then I don't know if they ever hear from you again. So perhaps, you know, what would have to happen <laughs> is an insurance that regularly has you report to it your health and how that changes and what you eat and, you know, your activities and all that. And then it adjusts its coverage of yeah. premiums based on your behavior long term, you know? Yeah, no, no. And they do do that. The only thing with that is people don't like the privacy issue. And if, you know, I, I guess you can do a lot of things around the premium to incentivize that behavior, right? But it's a good idea. I, I think um, at the outset... I'm not saying I would like it, but it may be necessary, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think at the outset, when you're pricing this kind of an insurance, uh, how do you update the actuarial data that's out there for the boomers that are retiring now, right? Because they're going to need benefit for the next, you know, starting, at, let's say in the next five to 10 years for another 20 to 30 years. How do you price that, right? And so in the face of gaps in our budget in Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security and all that, how do you use this data for that solution? So that's something that interests me a lot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there are specific areas of, of uh, question that I think about. Okay, very good. Well, we're close to being out of time. Um, so to wrap up, what's the best way for interested parties to get in touch with you? And then uh, I just wanted to ask you, you know, a final statement that you have, something you want to communicate to listeners. Sure. I, I think um, the best way, especially if they have, you know, globally impacting ideas that they want to discuss. I'm always open. So Susan at Catalyst.Ventures, K, uh, Catalyst with a K. And I think um, the idea is this. You can build world impacting companies that are also unicorns, you know, and we work with companies like that. Zipline, I think, um, Stock matter will be one. I think true value can be one. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to, it's hard enough to be an entrepreneur and founder, uh, but if you can have ideas that can actually help society become better, wouldn't that be even more worthwhile? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, Susan, thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, I feel like I could talk to you for several more hours, but you know, you're busy <laughs> and you, you. gotta you gotta get looking. Yeah, but thanks for yeah, coming. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks a lot, and and happy to connect with you anytime, Richard. You have been listening to Almost Here, around the corner future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse. 
such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.